0: Number seven, always have a teachable spirit. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, give to a wise man and he grows still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will still learn more. The moment you've stopped learning, you've stopped growing and you're stagnant. It amazes me when I go to conferences, I go to seminars, and I don't see congregation leaders in classes. I don't see congregation leaders in yeshivas. I don't see congregation leaders continuing their education I strive to attend all of our conferences and our movement and the MJAA and the IMCS because I have a desire to learn, to expand myself. I'm continuously reading leadership books and expanding what I can do to grow those underneath me, to empower them, to empower the ministry, and see them succeed. And eventually, I'm going to raise up, and I'm doing this now, my own relief. Who's going to take over from me? We can't wait until we're 90 and say, oh, my gosh. You know, this is one of the greatest. Let me digress for a second. Moses had his Joshua. Moses was the man of God at 80. He was sent to deliver us from slavery in Egypt. But his number two guy, Joshua, was with Moses for 40 years. The entire time Moses was speaking to God, Joshua was outside the tent listening and soaking up like a sponge all that was happening in this relationship between Adonai and Moses. Adonai said that he spoke to Moses face to face. Other people, he did so in riddles. What a profound example to, to sit at the feet of Moses and Adonai and be part of this. That would be a lifelong dream. Joshua, when he takes over, he's told to be very bold, go conquer the land. They do exactly what they need to do. However, what's the greatest failure of Joshua? He didn't raise up his relief. After Joshua dies, within a generation, we have an entire group of people now who no longer remember the great and mighty hand of the Lord who did all these miracles and brought us out of Egypt. We delve into a time period where people do whatever they think right according to their own eye, and then we see judgment Relief. Judgment relief. Judgment relief. The entire book of Judges is a horrible story. Why? Because the failure of Joshua to lead up his relief. And so this is incumbent to have a teachable spirit and to always continue learning, but then to also pass this on to the next generation to raise up your... I can't overemphasize that enough. You must be training that person who's going to relieve you. Psalms 119 verse 2 says, how happy are those who observe his instruction, who seek him wholeheartedly. Proverbs 15, verses 32 and 33. He who spurns discipline detests himself, but he who listens to correction grows in understanding. The discipline of wisdom is fear of Adonai. So before being honored, a person must be humble. A teachable spirit is a trait that many lack today. A good way to find out if you have a problem in this area is to ask yourself the following question. How do I respond to correction? Those who won't receive advice are the kind of people Proverbs 15:32 is speaking about. They get bent out of shape when they're corrected. I believe they're being attacked. They're insecure in who they are in their position. So this is the neck down version of those who are secure or insecure in themselves. It takes a secure, mature person to be teachable. The behaviors of insecure people, number one, they're unteachable. Number two, they never feel secure about their identity or constantly uh, comparing themselves to others. When someone corrects them, they get defensive. When they don't take advice from people, uh, they, they do not like themselves. They're the kind of people who are constantly trying to prove something. They may tend to lie to make themselves look good in front of others. They're ashamed to let others know who they really are. They're not transparent. And when they are corrected, they typically feel rejected. But behavior of a secure person, they can be corrected without feeling rejected. They are teachable, and they listen to constructive criticism. Proverbs 15 verse 12 says, a scorner does not like being corrected. He won't go to the wise. All right, that's enough on passion. I'm going to move on to the next tenet now for uh, full-time ministry. Always be a contender. Get in the fight. I had a phenomenal moment about 14 years ago, and many of you are fully uh, aware of who Promise Keepers is. Promise Keepers birthed the Road to Jerusalem ministry with Dr. Raleigh Washington, and we've been uh, matter of fact, I'm on the board with them. We've been closely associated with them for 15 or 16 years now. But I had a moment in this with Coach Matt, Coach McCarthy from Promise Keepers, and I got to spend an afternoon with him, and uh, and it was like a sponge. I think I said five words the entire time. He he was just speaking into me, feeding into me. And uh, we were sitting and he he looked across the table at me and he said, "Um, so, Rabbi, how do you make a difference in your community? You know, I I don't know the right answer. I just looked at him wide-eyed and he looked back at me and he gave me one of those looks, you know, felt like he was looking into my soul. And he said, you want to make a difference in your community? Pick a fight. I said, sir. He said, pick a fight. Stand for truth. Stand for righteousness. Stand for holiness. Draw the line in the stand and pick a fight. People will then know who you are because of your character and integrity. You've got to be a contender. You've got to get into the fight. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take a hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you testified so well to your faith before many witnesses. You've got to get in the fight. 15 years ago, we had the National Socialist Party, the Nazis, come to town. We're right by uh, Surrender Field where Lord Cornwallis surrendered to George Washington in October of 1781. We are at the birthplace of America right here. And the Nazis were coming to town. They applied to rally at Surrender Field. I had a friend who was inside the uh, Park Service contact me. We prayed about it. We got a license to counter-rally those Nazis. Immediately, I was barraged with a, what are you doing? This is dangerous. People could get hurt. You should just stay at home or pretend they, they never even existed and, and ignore them. How easy would it have been to stop Hitler when he was in a beer hall spewing his hatred and aggression in 1928 or 29? When, when aggression isn't confronted, it will rise up to be an abhorrence. It must always be confronted. We counter-rallied some 90 Nazis marching on the field that day. We had over 1,000 people, and all we did was worship and minister before the Lord. We were, we were interviewed live by CNN, who said that you guys have won the victory, and we gave glory to God. But it was that small bit of a—just a year before, I'd been sitting with Coach Mack, and he said, you want to make a difference in the community? Pick a fight. Always be a contender. Get in the fight. Number nine, do all things with a spirit of excellence. Here's another one I'm gonna pause for a few minutes. God deserves your very best. If you act halfway with God, he's gonna act halfway with you. God doesn't want your second best, your third best. He doesn't want the leftovers. He wants the first fruits, the very best of all that you have, spiritually, physically, and financially. And there's a few keys here to excellence So I wanna walk out. Psalm 78, verse 72 says, with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with skillful hands upright heart or true heart is integrity see all these things are interwoven together so he shepherded them with according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skilled hands david's leadership succeeded through a two-sided coin heads he wins tail he wins why his hands and his heart or his skill and his integrity david's unmatched leadership abilities combined both heart and art to have one without the other leads to failure Let's look at several keys here in developing excellence. You've got to value excellence. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever work you do, put yourself into it as those who are serving not merely other people but the Lord. Second time I've quoted this, this has to do with excellence. Next, don't settle for average. We have a saying, good enough for the government. We used to say that in Navy all the time, good enough for the government. But that's not good enough for the kingdom of God. He deserves your very best. He deserves your best offerings, your best ties. He deserves your best attitude, your best skill sets. If you're a psalmist, he deserves your very best song. If you're a speaker, he deserves your very best word. If you're, if you're a congregate, he, he deserves your very best attendance. You be on time. You dress appropriately. You reveal his glory in all that you do. Don't settle for average. Second Peter 1, verse 5, so make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Next, pay attention to every detail, every aspect of our life. Matthew 25, verse 21 says, his master said to him, Excellent, you're a good and trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with well, a small amount, so I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and join in your master's happiness." Excellence is paying attention to the details, and this is an area of my life I'm, I'm better at and seeing five years down the line. I'm less a detailed man, so guess what I've done? I've surrounded myself who have giftings, people who have giftings in the area of detail to help me in my area of weakness. This is why it takes a team to get this all done. Next, for excellence, remain committed to what matters. Mark 12, verses 28 through 30 says, One of the Torah teachers came up and heard them engage in this discussion. Seeing that Yeshua answered them well, they asked him, What is the most important mitzvah of of them all? And Yeshua answered, The most important is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, with all your strength. So this is a thing about commitments with excellence. We're to love the Lord God with what? With our soul, with all of our understanding, with all of our strength, every area of my life. We have a term in this, it's called being sold out to God. He wants you sold out to him. You gotta remain committed to what matters, and what matters is the kingdom and Yeshua and eternal life. Next, display integrity and sound ethics. First Chronicles 29, verse 17, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and take pleasure in integrity. As for myself, I've given all these things willingly in the integrity of my heart. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here give willingly to you. This is so profound. God tests the heart and he's searching for integrity and sound ethics. Psalms 101 verse 6, I look to the faithful of the land so they can be my companions. Those who live lives of integrity can be servants of mine. So we have to have integrity and sound ethics. If you've got a staff, you've got to pay them on time. We have a very robust uh, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield medical plan here. Why? Because I don't want our staff worrying about their health or how they're going to come up with a copay. We have to display an integrity and character and empower and take care of our staff and our people and reveal this through the love of God. Psalms 101, verse 6, I look to the faithful of the land so that they can be my companions. Those who live lives of integrity can be servants of mine. This is what the Lord is looking for. Number six, show genuine respect for others. Romans 12, verse 10 says, love each other devotedly and with brotherly love and set examples for each other in showing respect. This is done with the spirit of excellence. Next, go the second mile. So many won't stay long enough to finish the race. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Listen to me. This is a staggering statistic. 90% of people stop when they're within 10% of the goal. You've got to stay in it to win it. You're going to have difficulties. There's going to be spans of zurus and tribulation. You're going to wander a little bit here and there, but you've got to stick in it to win it because you want to be that 10% that reaches the goal and not give up when you're so close to the finish line. Demonstrate consistency. This is what the world finds unbelieving about this. We're not consistent. What we say and what we do tend to be two different things. What we say must be reflected in how we live and what we actually do. Acts 26, verse 20, on the contrary, I announced first in Damascus, then in Yerushalayim and throughout Judah and all to the Goim that they should turn from their sins to God and then do deeds consistent with that repentance. And so this has to maintain, listen, we can't say one thing on Shabbat or one thing on Sunday morning and do something different on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We have to be consistent, turn from our sins and do deeds consistent with that repentance. There should be fruit in our lives that reveals the kingdom within us. Next, never stop improving. Jeremiah 7, verse three says, here's what Anonai Sebaot, the God of Israel says, improve your ways and actions, and I will let you stay in this place. Listen, we strive for excellence in every area of the ministry. We've been doing it for 20 years. Are we there? No. Can I list 15 things that we need to improve right now? I could probably list 35. But we're always paying attention to detail, and when we see an error, we resolve to fix it, get to the bottom of it, because we want to present the very best possible presentation to Adonai. Period. Never stop improving. I'll tell you a secret. You're never there. Too many ministries, congregations say, aha, we've arrived, we're here. You're never there. The kingdom of God is forever evolving and moving forward. And those who are hungry and pursuing him, staying in the spirit and are humble, they will pursue him and follow along as the cloud moves. Next, always give 100%. Psalms 86, verse 12 says, I will thank you, Adonai, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, not half your heart. I'm going to say this in love, but this is why I'm big on full-time ministry. If you're not in full-time ministry, you're not giving 100%. And you can argue with me, you can send me emails, and uh, you, know, you can disagree with me all you want. But I know from personal experience, for that three years, when I was doing both, I'm going to be transparent and tell you God was not getting 100% from me because I was pulled in two different directions. It was such a relief that day I retired from the Navy and could dedicate my life into service to the Lord. And it's been an upward climb ever since then, and we're striving to do the best, but he needs my 100%, and he's gonna get it from me. Matthew 16, verse 24, then Yeshua told us, "Talmudim, if anyone wants to come after me, let him say no to himself, take up his execution stake, and keep following me. We have to say no to self. We have to crucify the flesh every day and give him 100%. Lastly, on excellence, make excellence a lifestyle. Second Peter 1.3, God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, we must make it a lifestyle, not just on Shabbat, not just preparing for Shabbat, but we must do it all the time. And lastly, Yeshua Himself said he came to serve. True leadership is about serving others. You are a servant when you're a leader of a congregation. Psalms 100 verse 2 says, Serve Adonai with gladness. Enter his presence with joyful songs. Luke 10 verses 34 and 35. So he went up to him, put oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he set him on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Look after him, and if you spend more than this, I'll pay you back when I return. This is the good Samaritan. This is what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to serve. And you must serve without any expectation of getting anything back. You're not doing this for accolades. You're not doing this to get certificates of appreciation. You're doing this to build crowns in heaven, to serve each other. There's two dynamics in relationships in the kingdom, us and I, which is up and down and sideways like the parabellum of the stake between each other. And when we serve and love each other, we're serving and loving the creator who created that other person. To serve is to furnish or supply with something needed or desired to wait on, uh, like a customer in a store, to answer the needs of another, to treat or act toward someone in a specific way as he served me. It's been said that we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. The key is to find your purpose and help others while you're pursuing it. Danny Thomas said all of us were born for a reason, but all of us don't discover why. Success in life has nothing to do with what you gain in life or accomplish for yourself. It's what you do for others. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Some give freely, still get richer, while others are stingy, but grow still poor. The person who blesses others will prosper. He who satisfies others will be satisfied himself. One of the greatest causes of negative thinking, of depression, and poor mental health is self absorption. Selfishness inclines people towards failure because it keeps them in a negative mental rut. This is the reason that Dr. Carl Menninger responded the way he did when someone asked, what would you advise a person to do if he felt nervous? Uh, What would you advise a person to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Most people expected him to reply, consult a psychiatrist, because that was his profession. To their astonishment, Dr. Menninger replied, lock up your house Go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. Most people will focus all their attention on themselves. They do so because they feel they're missing something in their lives. So they're trying to get it back. That's why Dr. Menager says generous people are rarely mentally ill people because they're serving others. And when you serve someone else, you yourself will be satisfied. Numbers 8, verses 11. And Aaron will offer the Levites before Adonai as a wave offering from the people of Israel so that they may do Adonai's service. Ezekiel 44, 16, they will enter my sanctuary, approach my table to minister to me and perform my service. Second Corinthians 9, verses 11 through 14, you'll be enriched in every way so that you could be generous in everything. And through your generosity will cause people to thank God because rendering this holy service not only provides for the needs of God's people, but it also overflows into many thanks people will be giving to God. And offering the service you prove to these people that you glorify God by actually doing what your acknowledgement of the good news of the Messiah requires, namely sharing generously with them and with everyone. And in their prayers for you, they will feel a strong affection for you because of how gracious God has been for you. First Peter four ten as each one has received some spiritual gift. He should use it to serve others like good managers of God's many-sided grace. Ephesians 4.12, their task is to equip God's people for the work of service that builds the body of Messiah. Acts of kindness open eyes of blindness. It was about 10 years ago, I dropped one of my kids off at school, and on the way back, I was getting my vehicle washed, and this small Honda-type vehicle kind of a low rider souped up, you know, it was obviously a younger person's car come just skating into the car wash. Young black man gets out. He's pseudo dressed. He's visibly agitated. He comes in and he asks to use the phone. Uh, the person running the car wash kind of looked around and finally said, okay. And, uh, and I could overhear his conversation. I'm trying, I'm trying. I told you I'm trying. I can't, it just happened. It, you know, that he, he, Irritated, shut the phone down, and uh, I walked up behind him, and I said, uh, "Hey, what's going on?" He spun around, and there was rage in his face. As he as he looked at me, and I suppose he's thinking, "Hey, this uh, he doesn't know me. He thinks this white guy's going to judge him. He's black. I'm I, that I you know I'm a racist or a bigot." And he kind of looked at me, and he's like, "I'm trying to get to a job interview." He's he's really agitated. He says, "But the car ran out of gas." I said, uh, "I can help you." He said, what? Just at that moment, my truck was coming out of the car wash. You know, they're supposed to dry down and stuff. I waved them off. I got in the truck. I always carry a 20,000-pound tow strap. So I said to him, hey, listen, put this around the axle or the A-frame of your vehicle underneath the car. He didn't know what I meant. I knelt down with him. I showed him right there. Wrap this through, loop it through. I put it in the back of my hitch. I said, half a mile down the street is a gas station. I said, I beg you. Just keep your foot on the brake. When I brake, you brake. Don't rear-end my truck with your car. He says, got it. We get out into traffic. We pull into the gas station. I take him right to the pump. And now his countenance has changed. He's like, hey, man, I I really want to thank you. I said, nope, no problem. I said, you know, in in life, uh, we minister the love. And I said Jesus to him. I said, we minister the love of Jesus by the acts that we do. And I just thank God that I was there for just a a time and season as this. So we did the strap. And amazingly, he's kind of standing there with his hands in his pocket. And I said, uh, you don't have any money, do you? He, he just exhaled. <sighs> Reached in my wallet, gave him $20. And he looked at me, incredi- he couldn't believe it, incredulously. He's like, what? And I said, hey, listen, I know that you've got a praying grandmother that's been interceding for you. And because of those prayers and God's love, you're going to make that job interview on time you're going to get that job. This young, angry man started to cry. A tear came down his cheek. I don't know his name. He doesn't know my name. We parted ways that day. And I want to share with you that those little things you do in life, that's more profound, showing God's love than any sermon, any preaching you can do. Let your life reflect service unto mankind, not just congregates, not just people that are like you, but interceding for those who have a need, and God's glory and love will be revealed. Ms. Bacaw, thank you for this time, for listening in. I pray you generate your own supernatural stories of divine intervention from the heavenly throne room. May your life be a light to a darkened world, and God's glory be revealed in all that you do. I'm praying that you become a successful congregation leader, a psalmist, a worshiper, children's ministry, Shabbat school ministry leader, youth leader, whatever it is. I pray that God lift you up to your destiny and you excel in all that you do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.